You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we're resuming our series through the book of Romans as Pastor Josh preaches from Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 32. In this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about our broken state as he sets the stage for what Christ has done and why it was needed. As we listen today, it's our prayer that we will be challenged, convicted, and also encouraged by God's Word to us. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 1? Romans 1 uh, is where we will be today, and by God's grace, if he says the same, we will find ourselves at the end of this chapter, at the end of our time today. As you are turning there, I do not want to miss an opportunity to celebrate last Sunday. Church at the park, dinner on the grounds, community fest. Thank you so much for being a church that invests in our community. Wasn't last Sunday a great day? Can we give God a hand clap of praise? I would love, I would love more than anything else to take credit for all that happened. I just showed up to preach and eat the barbecue. That's all I did. Uh, we, we have had, and in, you know this, our staff and our lay leaders are unbelievable in this church, and they put all of that together. You know that doesn't just happen. It wasn't like two weeks ago we thought, hey, let's just throw something together at the park. This is months and months and months of planning. Thank you so much for being a church that not only prays, not only shows up, but thank you for being a church that gives joyfully and willingly to the mission and the ministries of this church, I bet you couldn't even imagine. That cost some money last week. Thank you so much for giving so that we could ask the community to come free of charge. Come enjoy worship in the park. Come and enjoy an incredible lunch. Thank you so much for giving the way that you do. We ask that you would continue to do that. Uh, And I would pray, even before we jump into this much-needed and heavy passage, if we could just take a moment and thank God in prayer for his continued blessing on this faith family. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that you do at all times, even in the times that we have no clue what you're doing. But Lord, specifically, we thank you for last Sunday. We thank you for the beauty of the day, the the wonderful weather. We thank you for the great turnout. But Lord, we pray that you were glorified above all things. And Lord, I pray that gospel seeds were planted on that day, God, that will continue to grow over the course of this lifetime and give fruit into the next. Oh, Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, if you have your copy of God's Word, you know that we are in a really tough passage. Uh, You heard it read as we started this morning, Um, but maybe you've read ahead and you say, well, Josh, this isn't the only tough passage. You've got like a couple of three, four more weeks of that. I know. I know. <laughs> um, this passage, though, particularly these verses, as, as we will start in verse 24 and go to verse 32, uh, this is probably known as the most bleak portion of all of Scripture. Uh, and we have to remember what it is, because if you're just dropping in today uh, and you have no context for what we are doing, we're walking verse by verse through the letter of, of Romans. That, that is the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church that he loves dearly in Rome. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second. And, and we, we are jumping into a portion that is an in-between. It is an in-between of the introduction and the, in, the, the, the niceties of an introduction. I love you. I'm thankful for you. I praise God for you. And, and it's the in-between before we get to the good news of Jesus Christ. 
you got to know the bad news before you ever get to know that the good news is good news. And it's not just bad news, and I think this is maybe even the worst part of it. It's reality. It's the reality of all mankind. So before we jump in, we need to remember a few things about this letter as we push forward this morning. Paul is, is writing this letter to a church that he dearly loves, but he's never met. He, he hasn't met them yet. And, and he starts in the beginning of this chapter by giving his credentials. He says that he's a servant. He's a bondservant of Christ, that he's an apostle, that he's chosen and set apart to proclaim a gospel message. And these credentials are really important because he's about to say some things to them in this letter that most certainly will cause them, first century believers and us, to say, who is this guy? Who does he think that he is? We have to resolve in our hearts, just as they did, as they would have been the readers, the original audience, that Paul was a man charged by God to deliver a specific message from God to the people of God. He was an apostle and he was chosen. We have to resolve in our hearts, just as they did, that Paul delivers this message with love in his heart and his mind. He was a servant of Christ. And one more thing I want to remind you of, and if you have your Bibles open, it's probably going to be on the same page. I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 7. This is really important. Romans 1, 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that phrase. Remember, that is the intent of the apostle's heart as he writes this letter to them. And so when we read this, again, if you're just jumping in, you don't know the context. He is not today saying that we should weaponize the scripture against the people that we're about to talk about. What he is saying is the people we are about to talk about are the ones listed here and are called to be saints. They are loved by God. And God wishes grace and peace upon them. So hear me out. This is not a us versus them. This is not where we draw a line in the sand and say, you stay there and we stay there, here. When we get to this text of Scripture today, and particularly over the next two weeks, we will see that if it weren't for the grace of Christ in our life, this is still us today. So please hear me. When we read these words today, don't hear anger, hear grace extended. This is the truth of God being revealed for those who may hear and repent and turn and trust in him. We have to remember who this audience is. It is Jewish and Gentile believers coming together and with them, they bring all of their culture, all of their history and all of their baggage. And there's a whole lot of us versus them going on. Jews throughout the letter with, with the, the insinuated context is this. Those Gentiles don't believe like we do, so at best they're less than, and at worst they're probably not even real believers. And the Gentiles are saying, well, those Jews are so stuffy. Didn't they know that Christ died and we were in this kingdom too? And there's a lot of us versus them. So Paul is writing a letter to bring unity to a well-known fracturing church. So from the start of this letter to the end of this letter, he will unfold the only thing that will heal the fracture and unite this church in the mission of God. That one thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel message is powerful. 
Paul describes it as the power of God unto salvation. And the word that we use in the Greek for power in our English word is dynamis or dynamite. It's this idea that the power of God, this gospel, blows up strongholds to destroy the strongholds of the enemy, to demolish the power of sin, to save those who are destined for destruction, and to set those who are enslaved to their sin nature free. And you may ask this morning, free from what? What power does sin hold over people? What strongholds does the enemy have? Well, that's where we find ourselves today. Remember what the Apostle Paul charged them with doing in verse 18. And, and remember, he is speaking to the depravity of mankind here. Two things, that they suppress the truth of God. Gave, gave the analogy two weeks ago, think of like a spring that is up, and they don't like it, and so they want to they push it down to get it out of the way, and so they are suppressing that truth, and they're acting as if God's law has not been given, and it's not real. This is going to be spelled out more specifically as Paul talks about the depths of their depravity in their society. So let me give you a little background reminder of, of three verses that are leading up to where we go today. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Be claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. And then we get to verse 24, and it says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, we, we take a moment and, and we think through this. Uh, and just a a quick confession this morning. I find myself very anxious, anxious in the sense of, um, I know as you have read, uh, potentially maybe you have read through your life group material this week, or maybe, maybe you have prayed, you know, wonder what preacher's gonna say about this text. Is he gonna cover this text? Is that why he skipped it at the park? Are we just jumping right over this and getting into chapter two? I feel this angst that, that, that I potentially won't be able to satisfy all your questions today. It's very real, just I want to be honest with you. But, but here's what I do hope that we do, that we are very clear as to what the Scriptures tell us. Because we, we aren't captive to, to our questions, we are captive to this book. And what this book is going to tell us is going to, to tell us the absolute truth, but it's going to tell us that truth in absolute love. High truth, high love. It's the way of the Word. And so as we come today, the first thing we see that because of what they've done, because they've suppressed the truth, because they've acted like God isn't who he says he is and his law isn't what it says it to be, God gives them up. This is wrath. This, this is wrath being unfolded before our eyes. He gives them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why would God do this? To be, to be clear, just in case we're, we're not tracking, when we read this, it's going to sound like because they did these things, God has wrath against them. No, no, let me be crystal clear before we jump in. 
Everything that we are about to read about is a symptom of a core issue. The core issue is they repressed the truth of God and chose to be God themselves. Everything else we're about to read is not what brought wrath on them. It is the wrath given to them. I think the scariest thing about God's wrath as we see it here is, is not the, the hellfire. It's not this, this fear. It's God giving his creation exactly what they want. Because in that, there is going to be so much heartache and so much pain that God did not do, but they have done to themselves. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to this honoring of their bodies among themselves. Why would God do this? Here's why, verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. All right. So God gave them truth, objective, visible truth that always brings glory to the Father. But they rejected that truth. And instead, they exchanged it for their truth. Very subjective, ever-changing, always self-honoring truth. And they worshiped and served the two things reserved for God. They gave to the creature and not the creator. And Paul says, even still, God is still God and he will be blessed forever. And then he gives this word, amen. Now we say that a lot in the church and I don't even know if a lot of us know what amen means. We're just like, it seems right. The dude finally quit praying, so let's amen it. (laughs) Amen means I believe it to be so or let it be so or I believe it's truthful. So, amen, there it is. We agree with one another in prayer, and we signify that agreement by saying amen at the end of a prayer. Or, Marcus models this beautifully. In the middle of a sermon, whenever we are rocking and rolling, and there's some truthful statement being made, what do we hear? Amen. There it is. And so, this is this idea. So, what Paul is saying here, he says, regardless of what society does, regardless of of what first century Gentiles and their depravity were doing, it does not change the fact that God is forever blessed. There we go. We're practicing it today. Yes. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, for this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up is the wrath. Letting them go to do what they want. Sin, listen, sin will always breed more sin. Your sinful passions will never be satisfied and you will always want more of that thing. Without going into too much detail, because I have burned a lot of time and I got a lot of of stuff left to cover. It's the reason that in our sin cycles, whenever we get into that symptomatic sin, it's why we spiral so far. And then when God finally gets our attention or we realize that well is absolutely empty and we look back over all the choices we've made, we can't believe we've gone that far. No, you need to believe it because that's how sin works. It's never enough. Here's what it looked like for them. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Nature 
being God's original design. That's going to be really important in just a second. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Church, this text brings so many questions. I think one that we must look at first is why in describing the depths of the Gentile depravity does Paul begin with women and their sexual sin? Paul's point in this entire section is to show the depth of mankind's brokenness, to show that everyone has been affected by sin. His way to get to the point the fastest and give the most clear example is verse 26. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. If you look back in the creation story, which we will a little bit today, going back to Genesis chapter 1, and all of God's creation, there's only one part of that creation that he says is very good. Everything else is good. Everything else is in the Hebrew word tov. And then when he creates woman, he says it's meo tov. It's very good. Women are God's crown of creation. And Paul's point is this. If the women have fallen, there is no hope for the men. For the women are always the fairer gender. Paul starts his description of their Gentile depravity with women. Essentially saying, in their brokenness, all of mankind is broken. But Paul doesn't speak just to general brokenness but rather the entirety of their lifestyles and relationships and desires. Men and women were living in ways that were contrary to their natural created purpose. And they were consumed with unnatural desires. This word consumed is to be inflamed. For the original reader, they would well understood that Paul is insinuating idolatry and idol worship and a rebellion against God's design for creation. And because of that, all of mankind was fallen. He speaks to homosexual activity. Now, before we get up and pick up our stones and start throwing them, let me be clear. At the core, again, I believe that even in the homosexual activity that he is mentioning, it is symptomatic of a core problem. Here's the core issue that's here. The core of this homosexual activity and lifestyle was the worship of self. I like me. I feel safer with someone that really understands me. I desire someone that is most like me. This is in complete rebellion against what God has said. It is not good for man to be alone or by himself. So God created a, a helper that is suitable for him. What did he create? He created a woman. She was equal but opposite. See, God's glory is declared in his creation order in equal and opposite spectrums. Think in the creation of, of days. Darkness and what? Light. Heaven and earth. Water and land. Sun and moon. Birds of the air. Fish of the sea. Man and woman. Paul is making clear that homosexuality is a sin. For it rebels against God's created order and design for mankind's good and God's glory. 
And because of this rebellion, they, those that rebelled, received in themselves due penalty for their error. This is incredibly difficult and honestly biblically unclear. We don't know exactly what this penalty is. But I want to be as clear as I can be. I do not believe that this due penalty is just reserved for those who practice a homosexual lifestyle. I believe it is for everyone that practices any kind of sexual sin, heterosexual and homosexual sin. Using the context of these verses surrounding the statement, we can know that it involves this, this due penalty, involves both mental and physical nature of mankind. Hear me, this isn't anger, this is love. This is what he is saying. Because of that, here are some of the fallen indications as we read this letter. In the mental side, there's confusion. There's the loss of God-giving identity. There's hurt and there's pain. There's anger towards almost everything. Because everything created declares his glory, his created order, and it is in this that they are rebelling against it. In the physical, they do things with people they were never designed or created or intended to do. So they are filled with guilt and shame. And because of that, like we see in the garden, when we rebel against God's design, there is hiding. And in that hiding, they are exhausted. Wait a minute. You say... Design, created, intended. What do you mean? God has a design for sex and sexual relationships. What is that design? Well, look, there's so much here. This, this isn't necessarily the sermon, but quickly let me point out from the scriptures, God's stated design here. Genesis 1.27 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There are two genders. There is male and there is female. Second thing I want to point your attention to in this created order, and, and I'm going to combine two. I'm going to combine Matthew 19 and Genesis 2 because Jesus quotes Genesis 2 in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So here, Jesus speaking about divorce says, In marriage, which is a God-ordained union, they, male and female, will come together and be one with the implication for life. That's God's design. Last part I want to point your attention to is Hebrews 13, 4. Let, ma- let, the marriage be- uh, let marriage be held in high honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. Let the marriage be held in honor among all men. How? By letting the marriage bed being undefiled. What defiles it? Sin. What sin? When you or we operate outside of God's design and God's timing for our life. When we operate outside of his will. That is sinful. And that defiles it. So to be absolutely clear, hear me out. God's design for sex is not just man and woman. God's design for sex is covenantally married man and woman. The reason I want to make that clear is because a lot of times when we read this passage, we want to 
divide. And we want to say that homosexual sin is different than heterosexual sin. We want to say it's worse. No, listen to me. All sin is worse. All sin separates you from God. All sin defiles. If you break one part of the law, you break all of the law. I don't want you sitting in here today thinking because somebody struggles with homosexual life and activity and you're over here struggling with heterosexual uh, sinful activity and you would say, well, I'm so glad I'm not them because they're going to be in bad shape. Do you think God's going to bless you? When we look at this word, it is to help us to get our attention, to refocus us on who God is and what he has called us to be. So why did they rebel against this created order? They rebelled because they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Essentially saying, I don't like that. Suppressing of him and his truth, not acknowledging his law. Honestly, some people in this room or watching online may feel that right now. I don't like this. I like what I think better. And this is typically how we'll hear it. Well, my God would never. Mm-mm. This book tells us who God is. You, you know, yes, yes. But I pray as we clap that, we are convicted by the same word. This tells us who our God is. Your feelings don't inform God. The scriptures inform who God is to us. So if you sit here this morning and you say, I don't like what I'm hearing, Josh, take it up with Paul. Save me the email. I can feel it already dinging in my pocket. I just prayed. I prayed all week that I wouldn't be a YouTube clip coming this week. Lord, let me go viral for the right reasons. If that's you, and you think, I don't like this, that's not what my God would do. So what is the outcome of that thinking? What happened to them because they didn't acknowledge God? Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This word debased is really important means it's broken and failed. But it's more than that. It's a mind that doesn't work correctly. And even more than that, listen to this. It is a mind that will resolutely arrive at a conviction or a decision that is 100% wrong. That is what a debased mind is. So what does that type of mind do? It always does what ought not to be done. Like, verse 29 and following, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. To be clear, verse 29, when it says they, it is not, again, I want to be clear in this, it is not saying the homosexual. The they is fallen mankind. 
which is all of us apart from the work of Christ in our life. We are the they here. Paul's point in in this is to help us understand. They are filled. Notice that word. They are full. Remember, we are still talking about the depth of depravity of the Gentiles in first century Rome. Notice the description. They're filled with all manner. Not slightly affected, not marginally affected, not occasionally bothered by... This is Paul's point. They are filled with depravity, 100%, completely. They hated God and his laws. They wanted nothing to do with it. To the point that they began just making up evil stuff to do and to be a part of. So far, this has been a really tough passage. But the worst is still yet to come. Because that is found in the very next verse. Look at verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. The apostle, God's mouthpiece, is giving the judgment of God towards this rebellion. It is death. Death for all those that take part in this rebellious lifestyle and death for all those who approve of those who practice it. They know this. They know his degree, decree, and they still do it. Here's Paul's point. In mankind's natural state, in our natural state, that, that is apart from Christ. When I use that word natural now, I'm not talking about the same natural that was before. The same natural as before is God's created order. In our natural state, as we are born in sinfulness, we are born depraved. In our natural state, we are haters of God. It's what we do. And look, I think where we grow up, a lot of times we are able to church it up a lot. Because we can come to church and act the part and be the part, but in our hearts we are still rebelling against his will and his word for our life. But because you've got good attendance in church and you give a certain amount of your paycheck every week, you feel like you're fine because everybody else doesn't know the real you. This is where we are. This is where we live, church. Hear me out. We are not just touched by sin. We are saturated by it. We are filled with it. The effect of sin isn't just an inconvenience to us. It is a suffocating death blow. No matter how detailed this list is that we just went through, it's only partial at best. It is not meant to be an exhaustive list of sinful actions but a list that helps the hearer and the reader better understand their helpless estate and help them understand themselves a little bit better. Apart from Christ giving us new life, this is where we live. Our hearts on their own are just making up wicked things to do, suppressing the truth of God and acting like his law doesn't exist. This list is unsettling. If you're sitting here today and you feel like you've dodged Paul's bullets of accusation, even if you feel like you've dodged them, you haven't, but if you feel like you have, I want you to go on and read other non-exhaustive lists in the Gospels and in the letters of the New Testament. Let me save you some time. Everyone is filled with sin. 
That's not the worst part. The worst part is in verse 32 that we just read. All of those that are filled with sin deserve to die. The truest depth of mankind's depravity isn't just what they do, but it's what they approve of others doing. Humanity has said to God, I don't want you. I don't need you. I have me, and that's all that I need, so leave me alone. And he has. He's let them go, but not without hope. The worship team's going to come back out, but please don't miss this next part. The gospel can't be good news if you don't know the bad news. See, God knew this. God knows this. This deep and broken and dark rebellion that has separated mankind from him, causing mankind to wander in lostness. But God doesn't write his prized creation off. He sends a shepherd to come and find them. Hang tight, church. Romans 3 is coming. Romans 3:23 and following For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We know that one. You know what it says right after? And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by the blood, by his blood to be received by faith. We're going to get into that sermon in a few weeks, but hopefully it brings hope to you this morning. Maybe for the first time ever, you have seen yourself in the scriptures today. Need more help? Go back and read that list again. Again, those are symptoms of the core issue. The core issue is we suppress the truth of God. We would rather us be God instead of him. We would rather our will be done than his will be done. Whatever symptoms are displayed, it may not have come from that list, but no doubt the core issue is still the same. So maybe for the first time ever, you've seen yourself in these scriptures, and the question is, what do you do about it? I want everyone to hear me. Please don't miss this. If you are here today, and you are practicing a homosexual lifestyle, and are practicing homosexual activity, I do not hate you. We do not hate you. We love you. We love you so much that we want you to know the truth. That that lifestyle and activity is in direct rebellion of God's design for your life. And in that, you are settling for less than God has planned for you. But if you're here today and you are practicing a sinful heterosexual lifestyle and practicing a sinful heterosexual activity. I do not hate you. We do not hate you. We love you. We love you so much that we want you to know the truth, that that lifestyle is in direct rebellion of God's design for your life. You are settling for less than God has planned for you. If any of this has described you, you may be sitting here feeling all sorts of emotions, Maybe you're sad, maybe you're angry, maybe you're fearful. And you may be wondering what you should do. I am begging you with all that I am, come to Christ. He is good, he is kind, he understands, and he won't condemn you, he will save you. 
You say, Josh, that, that's, that's... Sounds like you, you're letting people off easy, Josh. No, no, hear me out. What we describe today is who we are apart from Christ. Somewhere in that list, we fall. And let me give you the good news of the gospel that we will not cover in Romans, but we will look at many, many times. John chapter 3, verse 16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You think that's good? Listen to the next. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. As we are here today, church, I want you to hear me out. I am not asking you to correct behavior. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, you're so broken, you can't. It's the reason that that sin that you keep trying to get, get rid of apart from Christ's work in your life is still there and it grows stronger every day. It's the reason that those desires you have that hurt you and make you feel disgusted, that make you feel outcast from what the Word says apart from Christ, you can't change that. You can't fix that. What I'm telling you is it's not about behavior mod. I'm not asking you to quit all the bad things and then come to Christ. What I'm telling you is, just as you are, come to Christ today and let him heal you. If it is not for the grace of God in our life, the gift that he freely gives, what we, what we read today is who we are. But by God's grace for so many of us across this room, that's not who we are today. And you cannot and should not say, well, it's because I worked so hard at it. No doubt you have worked hard. But the glory goes to God, for he is the one who broke every chain. So we trust in him and him alone. We give thanks and honor him and him alone. At the core of our sin nature, is the honoring of self. Go back to the garden. They wanted to be like God. Go back to any sin that ever existed ever. And at the core of that sin is an elevation of self and the suppression of God. So I'm not asking you today to clean up all the symptomatic things that are going on in your life. I'm asking you today to come with that broken heart and surrender it to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to forever change you. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. By God's grace, you don't have to stay that way. Would you pray with me as we move into this invitation time? Father, thank you. Thank you for grace as I deliver your word today. Thank you for grace as we hear it. Lord, I pray that if there is anything that I said that, that you did not want us to hear, help us to forget it right now. But Lord, if there's anything that you wanted me to say and I didn't, please plant that in our hearts right now. Oh Lord Jesus, help us now. Help us see you as more beautiful than we've ever, ever seen you before. For you are glorious above everything else. There is no comparison. We come broken. 
We come tattered and torn. We come with desires that we know are not of you or from you, but we come and we bring them that you may redeem them and change them in us. And God, every day as we still live on this side, we know that we're still going to struggle in them. That we are in the right now and not yet. Lord, I pray even now that there are people who've heard this sermon who would say, but Josh, I have given this sin to God over and over and over again. Brother and sister, keep giving it. He is faithful and good and one day, one day God will heal completely and fully. Revelation tells us so. So Lord Jesus, now in this invitation time, Call us to yourself. Break us of our sinfulness of self and help us to surrender all that we are to all of you. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?